Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the Gospel for Life today. Today we have been, uh, well, we have been addressing questions from um, our listeners. If you would like to submit one to us, just email us at info at reformationboise.com. We'd love to answer them on the air. So the question today is, what is narcissism and how serious of a threat is it to churches and to society in general? So just a little bit of history. Um, Narcissus, this is from Greek mythology. He was known for his beauty and his enemy. His nemesis is actually the name, um, got him to, got um, narcissists to look into uh, a, his reflection in a, a pool, and narcissist was so enthralled with his own beauty that he couldn't leave, and eventually dies because he's fixated um, on his own reflection and stays there at the pool until he dies. And so that's the background for the the use of the word narcissist that it's this being self absorbed, um, self infatuated um, with mm-hmm. your with your own. Substance, right. right? That really has nothing to do with much, but no, it's what is narcissism? No, I think that's why we use the word, right? Yeah, yeah. A narcissist is uh, someone who thinks that it's all about them, and they don't recognize that it's all about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good stuff. And I and. The danger of this, as it comes into the church, is then the predominant theme of the New Testament epistles when it's dealing with the church is over and over, it's the use of the phrase one another. And so the one another's permeate the New Testament, and narcissism has no room for one another. It only has room for itself. And so it's really hard to to live out the biblical mandate for church life when there isn't room for more than just your own view, your own agenda, your own felt needs being addressed, your own experience being what you want it to be. Um, And that's the danger within the church. Yeah, and I would also say uh, the danger in in individuals. Uh, Sometimes narcissism is associated with smugness and and arrogance and a sense of superiority focused on the self. Yes, that's a form of narcissism. Mm -hmm. Narcissism can also be a sense of worthlessness and a a sense uh, of wretchedness and uh, a sense of uh, I I am the most broken person that ever was and in in one sense is correct in that it, it acknowledges sin but won't look up to Christ. And uh, and and receive the the liberation and and the freedom that comes uh, from him. It, it's possible to be 
uh, a narcissist and, and, and be trapped in a, in a sense of worthlessness uh, that, that won't look up and out of the self and look to Christ. Uh, so it can, it's, a, it's a wickedness, it's a, it's a trap, I should say, that can go either way. So one of the passages that the New Testament talks about um, that very much illustrates narcissism is in um, John's third letter. Uh, in verse 9, uh, the Apostle John says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So narcissism is very destructive to the church because not only does it reject um, right and good biblical authority, but it also creates a hostile environment to the church actually operating as a body in a local congregation. It's interesting that when you do the the three passages of the New Testament that talk about giftedness, every single one of those passages is also connected to a passage that um, talks about love, and in every single case where it talks about the giftedness of of those within the body, it's also connected to the idea that those gifts were given in, in for service. So we tend to flip upon its head and say the gifts were given for me to make me feel better, to have me experience greater joy. Um, but the idea is, no, the gifts are given within the, the context of the body for the good of the body to be used only out of love for others, not self-love, not self-exaltation, not self-fulfillment, mm-hmm. but in service and love um, to those around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think this is the difficulty. You know, um, It's so interesting. If you were just to think about the commands that – the apostles give us in the New Testament, they're often commanding us things that we're naturally not good at, like husbands, love your wife as yourself. Why do husbands need to be told that? Because the natural old man in him doesn't want that. Wives, uh, respect and submit to your husbands. Why does the apostle have to command that? Because that's because it's come natural to them. Well, the same thing is true on this issue of putting others first. In Philippians 2, the apostle says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. And then he goes into that most famous passage almost in the New Testament about what Jesus did, how he became a servant, a doulos, a slave for the sake of us. Right. Now, why does the Apostle Paul have to say these things uh, in terms of why does he have to command these ethics? Because he, we're not good at these things. What we naturally do is we put our own interests above others. Yeah, that that's good, Josh. Uh, I think that's insightful because we should acknowledge uh, narcissism. Obviously, um, can, can be very. Uh, it takes extreme forms and, and can be even uh, a clinical mental illness. Um, but in much more basically, narcissism is the human condition. Mm-hmm. It, it's the it, it's the human condition in our fallenness in our sinfulness. The the medieval theologians used to describe our condition as curvitas in se, in Latin, curved in on the self. Mm. It's like each one of us is where we are. Our our soul itself is just curved in on the self, and we need a savior who comes from outside of us uh, to break the power of that captivity to self so that we can begin 
to love one another and to love God. Um, and apart from that saving power of the Holy Spirit, we're the saving power of God through the cross of Christ. We are we are going to be trapped in self. Uh, we're we're going to be trapped in that that narcissism. It's the human condition. I mean, just think about the the Lord's prayer, or the, that He gives as a model for us to pray. All of the the pronouns are plural. Yes. And the idea is that the prayer is starting to drive us outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It, because the tendency, and this is where Josh uh, was was addressing just before, is he, that has to be the instruction for prayer because our tendency is to be self-focused. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is saying, you want to pray correctly? Well, first you have to get outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, you have to get outside of your individualism and realize it's a corporate sense to prayer and it's about starting with God and his kingdom and his will Oh, and by the way, then we'll eventually get to the collective needs of the body, which you're involved with. Um, but even in the in the model prayer, they're not individual needs as much as they're collective needs. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And I think sometimes in prayer is where we show our most narcissistic um, thought process. Um, think about how many times we challenge God's goodness, or we wonder about his power, or we begin to... Um, highlight those things that we we think somehow God has made a mistake because it wasn't what we wanted. Yeah. Well, and we can also be trapped in ourselves, even in our prayer life. Um, You know, I think of Martin Luther and how he wrestled and wrestled and wrestled uh, with this incredible burden of his own sinfulness and this uh, sense of his own wretchedness and sin and that his complete unworthiness, um, it would just it was oppressive to him, and and all of his efforts only led him to deeper and deeper despair. The more he tried to be holy, the the more he despaired of of his failure. And when he when he finally experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ in his life, he recognized that he had been trapped in himself, mm-hmm. and that and and that sense of absolute. Uh, wretchedness and worthlessness was an aspect of his sin. He, do, he wouldn't have called it narcissism. He didn't have that term. He didn't use that term. Uh, but that he was not looking to Christ and placing his hope in Christ. That's so insightful. Um, Calvin, it, we, you know, we went over the, his uh, material last year for our conference, uh, The Christian Life in the Here and Now. And uh, he talked about, he, he touched on that very nerve where he says that the the Christian who is ashamed of his meager portion or his small you know allotment of of resources in this life when he's ashamed of those things it's it's not humility it's actually pride because if he had more things those are things that he would congratulate himself on and i think is is that kind of what you're talking yeah. about with yeah. luther yeah so yeah. it's it's absolutely. a form of narcissism it's, it's absolutely. just a little more concealed perhaps right it, yeah and we and we might look on it and say oh you know buck up you know, think better of yourself. Today he would be taken to. Love yourself. Well, yeah. Well, today <laughs> Luther would be taken to a uh, seminar on self-esteem. Yeah. You know, by people trying to help him. That's not what he needed. No. Uh, what he needed was the gospel. What, what he needed was the gospel and to look to Christ. Yeah. And that's what eventually happened to. Him. That's what eventually God did. The yeah. Holy Spirit did in his heart was to pull pull his head out of his navel yeah, and yeah. direct his gaze to Christ. And, and and here's where the gospel just comes at us in, in such a countercultural way. What we need to hear is, no, Luther, no, believer, you're worse than you think. 
Yes. <laughs> You're more sinful, more wretched, more of a rebel, more hateful than you could possibly think. And Jesus is more lovely and more accepting and more sacrificial than you could ever dare to hope. That's yeah, exactly. the gospel. And, and out of that gospel, that's when you get to those one another's in the passages. Mm-hmm. You can't really do the one another's uh, until you do that, uh, to, until you actually understand that gospel. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll be motivated by self-interest. You'll be motivated to manipulate somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you have the gospel, then you can practice those. In fact, it, it, it would be a good antidote to some of the narcissism for people to do a, a word study or a you know, topical study of those one another passages, mm-hmm. which, which would call them to unity, which would call them to humility, which would call them to um, you know, a self-sacrificial love for one another. That would be an antidote to some of the narcissism that we find. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think Jonathan hit the nail on the head a couple of days ago when he said that our identity has to be found in Jesus Christ. And what is the ultimate cure for narcissism is um, the gospel that brings us into union with Christ and all of the benefits that flow out of that union, that who we are in Christ is what is essential. And once we establish our identity in Christ, it allows us then to go to the next step that Jonathan was just talking about, which is the one another passages Mm -hmm. that if we continue to look to ourselves and find our identity in us, we will not be able to live um, in a way that is self-deprecating and, and highlights and, and esteems others better than ourselves. It's only when we lose ourselves in the, in the, the best sense of the word in Christ that we can live out the, the call of, of the gospel in, 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 the, in, a, in community. Amen. Amen. Real quick, real quick, any good resource on this that you guys have around the table? If you don't, that's okay. Yeah, the Word of God. Like I said, I think I think a good a good word study. Um, you know, just get out your concordance, look for those one another passages, Google it, and uh, you'll you'll find what God expects of you as a believer. Very good. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Community that does, at least in part, what what um, John I, I could I could say Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book Life, Life Together. Together. That'd be good. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 